When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I recently visited a big department store in Manhattan to look for some clothes. Excuse me? Hi, could you tell me where the pants are? Buying any new garment means taking a lot of factors into account. There's the color and the style, what it's made of. Made in Vietnam. Shell is nylon. And, of course, the price. Oh my God, it's $100. Ah! But Linda Birnbaum, the former director of the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences, Keep something else in mind when she goes shopping. If I'm buying a new pair of hiking boots, I don't want the ones that are labeled totally water repellent because I know what that means. What that means is that the boots were probably coated with per- and polyfluorinated substances, or PFAS. It's a group of thousands of chemicals used on products like frying pans, dental floss, cosmetics, and food packaging. These chemicals are extensively used to repel water, provide resistance to things. They're used a lot in tremendous amount of different consumer products. But the chemistry that makes PFAS so stable also means they tend not to break down, which means they can build up in the environment and sometimes in our bodies. And studies have indicated that exposure to some kinds of PFAS may not be good for us. There's growing evidence that PFAS can cause effects in almost every tissue and every organ system of our bodies. Some companies are citing the effect on health and the environment, along with a changing regulatory landscape, as a reason to phase out the use of PFAS. But we consumers still want our clothes to be stain-resistant and our frying pans to be non-stick. So if companies aren't using PFAS, what are they supposed to use instead? I think we're going to have to start asking the question, do we really need it? And if the answer is no, we stop using it. And if the answer is yes, we really need it, we look to see are there viable alternatives, safe alternatives. From The Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Alex Osola. Today, we're exploring how the clothing industry is finding alternatives to PFAS. But making the shift without sacrificing performance is a big challenge. Stick around. WSJ Special Access gives you a front row seat to some of the Wall Street Journal's most exciting content, like The Quirkier Side of Life, a new series that features the fun, surprising stories our reporters come across. The chief executive walks 10,000 barefoot steps every day. He recalls stepping on a bee, which put him off earthing for a couple of days, but he got back to it. Check out The Quirkier Side of Life on WSJ Special Access, only for WSJ subscribers. Graham Peasley remembers the first time he heard about PFAS. That was in about 2013, believe it or not. Uh, There were only a handful of scientists publishing at that point. Peasley is a physics professor at the University of Notre Dame. He got interested in PFAS when a colleague challenged him to come up with a way to detect fluorine. That's a critical element in the makeup of PFAS. Finding fluorine is a reliable way to identify them. She sent me the bottom six inches of a pair of pants that was fluorinated. 
And we set it up in the beam and we measured it. And in 30 seconds, I got this unique signature of fluorine. And I was like, wow, that was quick. Um, it can't possibly be right. What, what doesn't have fluorine? And we all looked at each other, a bunch of students and I. And I made one of the students take off his shirt because we knew it was an old T-shirt and couldn't possibly still have PFAS on it. So we put that in the beam and sure enough, that wasn't there. And that got me into the world of PFAS. Peasley may have only gotten interested in the past decade, but PFAS have been in consumer products since the 1940s. PFAS is a class of chemicals, about 12,000 or more, and they're all anthropogenic, they're all man-made. As a group, PFAS includes substances that do a lot of different things. There are chemicals that coat consumer products, like raincoats and stain-resistant carpets. Some are used to maintain the equipment that makes those products and others. There's even a group of plastics called fluoropolymers that fall into the category of PFAS. The thing everything in this big group has in common is their unique chemistry. PFAS is a long chain of carbon and fluorine atoms. They have a very tight bond, which makes them very useful if you want something that is chemically inert. Chemically inert means a chemical can be exposed to high heat or intense cold, and nothing really happens. It won't have a chemical reaction. And that can mean some PFAS don't really break down. They're known as the forever chemicals, and that's their moniker they got recently. They last for a long time because they're very stable bonds. And therefore, some of the bigger ones break down to smaller ones, but those smaller ones last hundreds, if not thousands of years. The same chemistry that makes PFAS so stable also makes them commercially useful. Even burned food won't stick to Teflon. The Stain Defender Khaki acts like an invisible force field, protecting your swagger. There are over 200 known applications of PFAS, from you know, fluorochemical waxes on skis to uh, firefighting foams. The PFAS has had a role in making this uh, product more waterproof, more stain-resistant, or last longer. And those are all good qualities that you can sell, but it comes at a price. The thing is, PFAS don't just stay on those products. Like for clothes, Peasley says there are several ways PFAS can get from those clothes and into our bodies. When you're wearing the textile, it could potentially rub off, and if it rubs off, it could be on your hands. And if you didn't wash your hands before you ate, then some of that could be ingested. The dust may shed, get into your apartment, and that dust will settle on everything, and that will be full of PFAS. And there's possibilities that it will pass through skin. It's thought to be low, but it's not zero. The most common route of exposure is PFAS in the water we drink. But it's not the only one. Because it takes so long for PFAS to break down, they can build up in crops, in livestock, and sometimes in us. Back in 2007, researchers from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention looked at blood samples from about 2,000 people. They found four types of PFAS in 98% of those samples. The level of complexity that we understand about this class of chemicals, I mean, it is far more intractable and a far bigger problem than we ever imagined the ability of the body to ingest it and to keep it at a half-life of, of years in our body is scary. And studies suggest that exposure to PFAS is affecting our health. PFAS exposure has been linked to increased risk of several types of cancer, digestive issues like ulcerative colitis, and problems in the endocrine and immune systems. A caveat, though. According to the CDC, some of those studies were done in animals, which isn't a perfect indicator of what happens in humans. And some of those that did look at humans involved people exposed to higher-than-average amounts of PFAS. But Peasley says the qualities of PFAS, including their durability, are cause for concern. 
one of the characteristics of them is that they're persistent, uh, i.e. environmental or uh, anywhere, and they bioaccumulate, and all of them have some level of toxicity. And so that's the sort of the triple whammy of what you don't want in a chemical. In part because of the growing association between PFAS and negative health effects, regulators have started paying more attention. In March, the Environmental Protection Agency proposed the first federal limits on six PFAS compounds in drinking water. And so far, more than half of all U.S. states have regulations around some types of PFAS in products such as firefighting foam. And there have been lawsuits. The footwear company Wolverine Worldwide has agreed to multiple settlements linked to PFAS contamination near its former tannery in Rockford, Michigan. The settlements total more than $100 million. Wolverine has said it is also providing, quote, ongoing municipal water installation and environmental remediation efforts. Another company involved in those settlements? 3M. It made some of the chemicals Wolverine used at that tannery, including Scotchgard. Scotchgard fabric protector. It keeps ordinary spills from becoming extraordinary stains. Scotchgard is a spray used to make textiles water and stain resistant. You may own a couch that was treated with it. Well, Scotchgard used to be made with PFAS. But John Banovitz, the chief technology officer at 3M, says not anymore. We work to transition our Scotchgard products to formulations without the use of PFAS. 3M has long been one of the biggest producers of PFAS. But late last year, the company announced that it would stop manufacturing and using the chemicals by the end of 2025. Banovitz said there were a few reasons why. Really in the face of those accelerating regulatory trends and our Customers and consumers increasingly interested in alternatives to PFAS. And that's really where we've shifted our focus to is, is innovating in, in R&D around alternatives to PFAS. I talked to Banovitz before 3M agreed to pay up to $12.5 billion to settle litigation around contaminated drinking water. Several hundred cities sued, alleging their water was contaminated with PFAS made by the company and used in firefighting foam. The company did not admit liability, though 3M CEO Mike Roman called the proposed settlement an important step forward for 3M. But not everyone thinks that the move away from all PFAS is the right one. Not all of the PFAS are the same. That's Gerardo Familiar, the business president for Advanced Performance Materials at Chemors. It's a chemical maker that spun off from longtime PFAS manufacturer DuPont in 2015. It makes a category of PFAS called fluoropolymers, which are plastics. Familiar says it's not right to treat such a large group of compounds as if they all have the same safety issues. Not all of the PFAS should be treated in the same way, and that difference is important, right? Uh, think about it in this way. It would be almost like treating olive oil in the same way that you would be treating motor oil. Chemors continues to produce fluoropolymers, and Familiar says there's simply no replacement for some of their uses. Still, some experts predict that, eventually, PFAS will be phased out for all but the most essential applications, where PFAS alternatives don't quite cut it. That may include things like medical devices, some safety gear, or electronics, which use PFAS to protect against dirt and moisture that could impede their performance. But not all uses are essential. If you're a clothing manufacturer trying to navigate a move away from PFAS, how would you even do it? That's after the break. Join the Wall Street Journal at the Future of Everything Festival on May 21st to 23rd in New York City, where diverse global newsmakers share unique perspectives on navigating a changing world. 
immerse yourself in live performances, explore pioneering technologies, and indulge in the city's inventive culinary scene. As a podcast listener, enjoy 20% off current ticket rates with code PODCAST. Visit wsj.com slash f-o-e-f podcast to secure your spot. So you've heard about the good and the bad parts of using PFAS in clothes. Now let's pretend I have my very own clothing line. Let's say I make really cool shirts. Ooh, cool shirt. And I'm trying to figure out if PFAS is anywhere in my supply chain. How would I even start? The shirt that you're wearing now, if it had PFAS on it, the chances are it would have PFAS added in the fabric form after it's been dyed. Amanda Cattermole is a consultant who helps companies come up with strategies to make their products safer and more environmentally friendly. She used to work at Levi Strauss before she struck out on her own. And she says it can be challenging for a clothing company to get full transparency into all the places where PFAS can enter its supply chain. It's really quite difficult for brands and suppliers and users of chemicals to really get a full visual understanding of what specific chemical ingredients are used on their products. There's the companies that weave the fabrics and the factories that assemble the garments and the companies that provide supplies to those weavers and assemblers. Let's just say the supply chain can get complicated. And PFAS can be used not just on those garments directly, but also on the machinery making the clothing or other steps in the production process. So back to my shirts. They happen to be wrinkle resistant, which Cattermole says makes it pretty likely that they were manufactured using PFAS. If she were acting as my consultant, what would she want to know next? Then I would say, well, do you know the mill that you're working with? Where are you producing this? What country are you producing it in? What's the name of the mill? And so we would ask all sorts of questions to get a better understanding of what types of chemicals they're buying. So step one, making the supply chain transparent to see where PFAS might be used. Step two, swap PFAS out for something else. This is where Levi Strauss, the company behind brands like Levi's and Dockers, found itself in the early 2010s. Linda Gallegos is now a senior manager of design innovation. But back then... I've been doing R&D for Levi's for quite a many years. And we were talking about PFAS when we really had Teflon on our product. It was mainly Dockers, but we certainly introduced um, some of this chemistry in our Levi brand as well. But what led us really to phase out PFAS was Greenpeace. Fashion. Behind the beautiful advertising, the catwalk glamour, and the billion-dollar business lies a world that those inside the industry do not want you to see. That was part of a video that Greenpeace made to promote its detox campaign, which kicked off in 2011. Its goal was to get major clothing companies to commit to zero discharges of toxic chemicals by 2020. The pressure worked. Greenpeace says 80 brands, or 15% of the world's clothing industry, signed on to that commitment. Several of these big brands also joined together to form an organization called Zero Discharge of Hazardous Chemicals, or ZDHC, which evolved into a nonprofit. Scott Eccles is now the chief impact officer at the ZDHC Foundation, but he worked at Nike during the early days of the Greenpeace campaign. We quickly realized that while we had attempted to solve these issues with chemicals and products alone before 
that it was really too big of a challenge to tackle separately. And it didn't make any sense because uh, the industry shares suppliers. It, it, it shares a very complex uh, value chain. Under pressure from Greenpeace, Levi Strauss made the commitment too. We signed a detox commitment. We did that in 2012, and that banned 11 priority chemicals, and that included PFCs. The acronym PFC can stand for a few things, but for Levi Strauss, it means perfluorinated chemicals. This term generally refers to chemicals under the larger PFAS umbrella, which can also include those plastics we talked about. At the time, not all the brands elected to eliminate PFCs. They were identified as being safe on product. So if a brand didn't need to um, remove them, they chose not to. But Levi Strauss, we took a different approach. We saw the potential risk, right? I think what Levi Strauss saw was the need to look at hazards in a deeper way. Linda Gallegos says Levi Strauss stopped using PFAS across all of its brands starting in 2018. For most of the company's products, she says phasing out PFAS was no big deal. The performance benefit they offered weren't essential to the majority of our product, so the decision for us as a brand was easier to make. But a few were tricky. At the time, Levi's made a product called commuter jeans, which were performance denim. They used PFAS to make them waterproof. In 2015, the company launched its commuter jeans with a PFAS alternative, but the new formulation simply didn't perform as well. Gallegos says customers noticed, and Levi stopped making the commuter denim in 2017. And it was unfortunate because it was the first time Levi's actually had really opened the door for performance in denim for our category. So it was exciting and it was a big letdown to be able to walk away from it. But again, we knew it was the right thing to do. And then there was Dockers. Since there are no good alternatives to prevent oil-based stains, this presented a challenge. What Dockers offered was stain repellency, and that means your apparel would repel oil-based stains. So that program had to be discontinued and completely phased out and dropped. And because there was no alternatives, we couldn't relaunch it with something else. We still have our Dockers line, but no more, <laughs> no, no more of that old product which contained PFAS chemicals. In the past, companies would have to design and test their own proprietary alternative chemicals. These days, there's more infrastructure in place to help brands phase out PFAS and find something to use instead. ZDHC's Scott Eccles again. 10, 15 years ago, you never would have seen brands and retailers working deep in the supply chain to really look at the chemicals that were used. ZDHC is one of a number of organizations that's set up to help. It maintains a list of chemicals it has deemed harmful called the Manufacturing Restricted Substances List, or MRSL. Eccles says there are more than 250 chemicals on the list. To make it on the list, chemicals have undergone what's called a chemical hazard assessment. So you're looking at, is it a reproductive toxin? Is this chemical a carcinogen? Is this chemical an eye irritant? Is it a skin irritant? So it's looking across this broad range of impacts to try to make sure that it's not impacting human health and it's not impacting ecological health. When a brand partners with ZDHC, it's committing to working with its suppliers to phase out all the chemicals on the restricted substances list. And experts at the organization can help them find alternative chemicals that seem to be less hazardous. Eccles says to date, 170 companies at different stages of the clothing industry have partnered with ZDHC. 
even with the help of an outside organization, it can be difficult for brands to figure out the right compound to replace PFAS. Which replacement would work kind of depends on the performance they're looking for. Like, if you want to make your garment water-resistant, consultant Amanda Cattermole says an older technology may do the job. So an alternative could be wax, right? So if you think about wax, you know that it, it repels water. It would be treated a little bit different to be applicable to a textile because you would want it not to feel waxy. She says sometimes this process will push a company to reassess what performance means for them, like Levi Strauss did with Dockers. Ideally, you want the performance to be as good as the PFAS, which is really difficult to do. How good does it need to be? Uh, Do we need to be perfect? Or are we okay actually having a lower level of performance? And so it was really looking at lowering consumer expectations, knowing that the performance was never going to be as good as with PFAS. It's not just clothing brands and manufacturers that are moving away from PFAS. It's retailers, too. Patagonia and REI announced bans on the use of PFAS in some or all of the products they sell, effective in 2024. They said it was because of the chemical's impact on health in the environment and forthcoming regulation. Some clothing companies may be phasing out PFAS, but not all. For the most part, you know, this is a business and social problem. It's not necessarily a, a technical issue. There's, there's alternatives out there. It's, you know, how do you get people to use them? How do you make sure it's a, available in all regions of the world? A January 2022 report from the advocacy group Toxic Free Future found that out of 47 clothing items labeled stain or water resistant, 72% contain PFAS. And Eccles says clothing may never be fully free of PFAS. For some specialized uses, there may be no viable alternative, or at least not yet. I think it's still going to have to be used for turnout gear for firefighters, for uh, surgical gear and and things that you really, you want to protect the worker. And we just don't have a good alternative yet. But if you narrow that down to, you know, one or two percent of what we're doing today and paid attention to, to how you're using it, I think you could you could improve it. Linda Gallegos at Levi Strauss says at the moment, the pressure to move away from PFAS isn't really coming from consumers. Chemicals is a tough conversation now with consumers. Um, And in many cases, it's so complex and so much education is needed. It's not an easy thing to fit on a, a hang tag to a consumer. Speaking of hang tags, remember that trip I took to the big department store here in New York City? I checked. The labels on Levi's products I found didn't say anything about PFAS. But Gallegos says that could change in the future. I think from the consumer lens, I think they're becoming more educated. There's more communication in the news and out there for consumers to become more aware that garments and apparel are more than just the fabric that they're made of. But some clothing companies have started adding information to their tags about PFAS. I even found one. So Marmot, their jackets here, they have this label on them that says, the durable water repellency you use is free from perfluorinated chemicals which don't break down in the environment. So, so far, this is the only company I've seen that mentions perfluorinated chemicals by name or even in passing. How will PFAS be used in the clothing industry in 30 years? Eccles is betting on innovation. I'm hoping that, you know, there's a lot of smart people out there and a lot of chemists smarter than I am that that can invent something. 
there is so much that we need to invent around consumer products and textiles in particular that, you know, it's wide open for innovation. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. This episode was reported and produced by me, Alex Osula. Our fact checker is Aparna Nathan. Michael Laval and Jessica Fenton are our sound designers. They also wrote our theme music. Scott Salloway is our supervising producer. Editorial support was provided by Falana Patterson. Like the show? Tell your friends and leave us a five-star review on your favorite platform. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.